This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Chris Price. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, going away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Don Banks and Chris Price provide blanket coverage of all things NFL on the Cover 2 Podcast. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from cover two. Pass is what a catch, Beckham. He's done it again. Wow. Touchdown Giants. Now here's Don Banks and Chris Price. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Cover 2 with Banks and Price. I'm Don Banks. I'm joined by Chris Price. I'm excited to be here. I believe we'll be doing this podcast weekly. This is going to be fantastic. I'm I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to talk not only with you, bounce ideas off you, but to talk to some really smart, really intelligent people who know the game of football. Well, we're going to be trying to bring the NFL alive for football fans, Patriot fans, Maybe there's even a Don Banks or Chris Price <laughs> fan out there. And believe it or not, we have 47 years of experience covering this league. So that means we're pretty old at this point, Chris. But it also means we have Rolodexes. We do. We, we do. know people. We do. We it, know people it, who know people in this league. And hopefully, we're going to get you guests that you want to hear from and all the topics you want to talk about. And not just Patriots-related either. I, I know that a lot of people, obviously, if you're coming to Patriots.com, you're going to be interested in finding out Patriots information, but at the same time, we're going to be covering the league. Don has a vast wealth of experience when it comes to covering the NFL. I've been around the Patriots for the last 15 years. Between the two of us, we're going to be able to give you coverage that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. It's a good mix. It is. I kind of bring a league perspective. You bring uh, that team focus. Uh, I live in the Boston area once again. Uh, lived here before from like 04 to 08, moved away couple times due to my wife's job and now we're back and um, happy to be home and back in God's country and uh, talking football on Patriots.com you know anything going on this week Chris? No, what should we no, talk about no nothing at all nothing NFL at all. draft the yeah. monster that consumes all oxygen in the room <laughs> starting in about what mid-December yeah. is really when it ramps yeah. up as soon as the college games really start to slow down are you at draft, Nick? Uh, no. I See, the thing is, I'm not. I, I can appreciate it, and maybe this is just the last 15 years. I, I kind of considered it part and parcel of the job and kind of doing the pre-draft capsules and doing the mock drafts. And I understand that people are draft people or they're not draft people, but people hate mock drafts. Those people who hate mock drafts don't understand what kind of an absolute traffic monster they are. Can I make an admission? Go ahead. I was SI's uh, Sports Illustrated's resident mock draft expert for years. I was one of those people who hated mock drafts. <laughs> of course, I had to do six or seven of them a year, and I was always convinced, Chris, that my second or third one was actually probably dead on money, but then I had to erase it, rip it up, and change it uh, so that my final one was probably my least accurate. Can I put you on the spot here? Sure. What was your most accurate mock draft? Do well, you remember that one? Well, I'll tell you one that I'm really proud of. Do you remember Jared Mayo's oh, draft? Yeah. Okay. Mayo. I predicted in my final mock – the Patriots were going to make a trade. I want to say with Houston, if yeah. I'm maybe at number ten. Does yeah. that sound right? I predicted that exact deal in my final mock. What year would that have been? Oh seven. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Yeah. I made that 
I got a great piece of information the day before the draft, put it in the mock, that the Patriots were going to deal for Mayo, and it happened exactly the way I had it. Now, you don't often hit trades in your mock dead uh-huh. on, especially ones that weren't talked about, as this one wasn't. Uh, I lived off of that one for a long, long time. Now, what? I'll flip it over. What was your least memorable mock draft? Oh, wow. Every, every other mock <laughs> I've ever done. Um, you know, they're just – I remember – I used to have a great time sitting next to the um, legendary Paul Zimmerman, Dr. Z, in New York at the draft. And Dr. Z would, he was a curmudgeon, of course, and still is, but he would grumble that I got six or seven bites out of the apple and he only had one for the magazine. And then we would compare notes. And if I ever beat him, and I did a few times side by side sitting next to him, he was insufferable to sit by. (laughs) I just remember loving uh, the draft process when when I was able to beat the great Dr. Z, and that was the only forum I could beat him at. Well, this week, guys, not only do we have the draft, we have a great first guest for the uh, podcast because John Lynch, the rookie general manager of the San Francisco 49ers and a guy I once covered as a beat writer for the St. Petersburg Times when John was a first-year player, third-round draft pick in the 1993 draft out of Stanford. John Lynch is going to join us as our first-ever guest. See, this is fascinating because there's a handful of things, not just draft-related stuff, that I would like to ask him. Uh, namely, this wasn't all in that really wasn't all that enticing a gig coming out of the gate. I mean, you know, when, when you talk about some of the the instability around that franchise Jim over Tom the last Sula. three years, exactly, Chip Jim Kelly. Tom yeah, it's it just it, it's been a steady decline ever since that Super Bowl run. And to be able to walk into that building now as a rookie general manager, it's going to be a little bit interesting to see his response again. Not just walking into that situation as a veteran, but walking into that guy, walking into that job. For your first year, it's going to be a tough job. I agree. I mean, I from the outside looking in, there's not much appealing no. about that job. Um, Jed York has not exactly been the rock of stability. Uh, and here you have an organization that seemingly has nowhere to go but up. Mm-hmm. And that's appealing, I guess. When you start at the bottom, every bit of success you have, Chris, then looks exponentially better. Mm-hmm. I've always said in the NFL, don't set the bar too high too early. Don't win big in year one. Even in year two, it can be too too early at times. So maybe John Lynch sees that. We'll ask him uh, as there's nowhere to go but up. Well, but, if he finishes 5-11 and 11 this year, uh, he's, he's it's taking, a win. He's, he's, it's a win for them. Well, he's more than doubled their win total. 2-14 yeah, yeah. and 14 to 5-11. Yeah. and 11. The question is, will Jed York tolerate that slow, relatively slow, NFL relatively slow, rebuild. I think he almost has to yeah, because he knows he'll never get another head coach to take this job if he keeps blowing through people Mm -hmm. at one-year intervals. And let's be honest, they're not over the way the hardball era ended and the fact that they ran off the most successful coach that they've had since the Bill Walsh era. I just think in, in many ways, Jed York has to ride this one out. He has to let Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch form a tandem and lay a foundation because otherwise the Niners are a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. And, and who would ever thought we could get to that low uh, rung on the pole already after this team went to the Super Bowl 
after the 2012 season. It, it, just, yeah. it, it illustrates for me that how, how finite that whole team-building process is because one bad step, and it's like a domino effect. You go from here to here, and you know, in one four- or five-year stretch, you go from the Super Bowl to a 2-14 and 14 season. All right, I think we are ready to bring in John Lynch. Um, John, are you with us? I'm with you. How All you right. guys doing? Good morning. Good Thank morning. you for getting up early. This is, uh, this is Don Banks and Chris Price. John, you and I go way back. I was trying to think last night, the nineteen ninety three draft, which I covered at the St. Pete <laughs> Times, as a third round pick. I was trying to imagine if I ever looked at you and said, Now there is a future general manager in the National Football League. I still have a hard time wrapping my head around it a little bit. Uh three months in to the gig, are you starting to get a little easier with, with that title being attached to your name? I am. I am. I uh you know, I, I tell you, I've spent enough time in this building that I, I feel like I've made up for <laughs> five years or something. So, um, but that's that's part of the fun of this uh, to to fully dive in uh, to invest yourself in something you love and something you're really passionate about. And uh, Don, you know, there uh, I've communicated a bunch of times, but there were a couple draws to this for me. I, I was really enjoying what I was doing uh, with Fox in broadcasting because it gave me that exposure. Um, to the game that I love so much, but it also gave me a ton of time with my family. Um, an opportunity uh, arose uh, for me to, to jump in, uh, to being fully invested. And uh, I, w- I would say that although I love the broadcasting, the, the one part of it that uh, was always a little empty was at the end of the game there was really no scoreboard uh you know it was it was uh people's opinion while well, that was a nice broadcast and you could fist bump your partner but that always left me a little uh i think players talk often about what they miss most and i think what you miss most is resolution uh, that yeah that w yeah. or that l even yeah, the three, you know, as, as they used to say on uh, Wide World of Sports, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, you know, the, the ups and downs that are so intense. And so um, that coupled with the fact that, um, you know, this is, I understand, I think, what a proud and iconic organization this is. And a lot of people uh, would say, well, after the last couple of years, what are you, what are you talking about? Uh, I, I was around Bill Walsh at Stanford and got exposed to really what the 49er way was. And and um, you know things have run amiss here the last couple of years, and, and the the place is down. But I saw an opportunity to bring a proud franchise back, um, and uh, do it with a guy in Kyle Shanahan uh, that I think the world of, and I, and I think just his his potential in this league is limitless, and his uh, I, I just think it's going to be really fun uh, to do our best to bring this place back to where it belongs. Well, John, I'm glad you brought up Bill Walsh because I want to. I just want to try to frame this for people who may not realize it. And of course, you played for Bill Walsh at Stanford. He more than anything, in a way, launched your NFL career as a safety. He made you give up the, your quarterbacking dream to switch to safety, and you're going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. I'm fu- fully convinced of that. Now, here you are, 38 years after Bill Walsh launches his program to legendary heights in San Francisco, lo and behold, you basically have the same challenge as your, as your mentor, your former collegiate coach. What an incredible parallel, what a juxtaposition that John Lynch would someday be charged with bringing that franchise out of the depths just as Bill Walsh did 38 years ago, starting with that 2-14 in 1979. Well, yeah, I've thought about that a lot, and uh, I think just as as uh, Coach Walsh um, 
would have done. Um, you know that you aren't doing it alone. It, it takes a team and it takes everybody here in this organization to uh, to do the things we need to do to change the culture and uh, and get this place back. Um, so I think that it starts with that. But uh, it also, you have to have a belief that, that it's possible. And you have to not only have a belief, but then have a process that you believe, uh, you know, you can put in place um, to start affecting that change. And, and that started right away with us. Um, we got, we got hired late, you know, uh, Kyle being in, in the, in the Super Bowl, things happen late. I got hired the week before the Super Bowl. So it was all systems go. I mean, literally my first day back in the building here in San Francisco, we had a press conference and then the college scouts were in. And so it was on to draft preparation. And then, uh, we did that for two weeks, and then it was on to free agency, and we were actually doing free agency while we were doing the draft, and I was making hires. And so this thing's been full steam ahead. Um, you know, but I think the interesting parallel with Coach Walsh is, um, you know, for instance, Don, when we went to Tampa, there really was no roadmap. They had never been successful, so it took a bunch of guys and Coach Dungey and Rich McKay, and it took us to kind of figuring our way without a roadmap. Um, I remember. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and uh, it took a long time, but here the nice thing is we do uh we we've got uh you know when when I walk in the building, I walk by five Lombardis and I think one thing I always try to communicate to our team, to our guys is that listen, we can't ride on the coattails of Bill Walsh and Joe Montana, Steve Young and Jerry Rice and Ronnie Lott and all these greats that that uh we have as examples, but we can look to them uh, for what we aspire to be and how they went about their business. And I, I think that's a great advantage. And one of the things we've done is really made a great effort. Jed York has always done this, but I think we've tried to reestablish that these guys are welcome. We want them around the building. We want to feel their presence. And uh, the more they can be around, the better. And that's already, I think, is is, is starting to affect in a real positive way, um, you know, just the feeling about this place. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm encouraged in this this draft coming up starting on Thursday uh, is another huge step, uh, just absolutely immense step in, in us getting there. John, uh, Chris Price, you, you touched on this a little bit, and I'm fascinated to see if we can go a little bit deeper with this. What made this the job for you? I mean, from the outside, this didn't seem like all that enticing a gig considering the instability there the last few years. Have you gotten assurances from Jed, uh, the rest of the ownership group, that they're going to be able to kind of step back and let you do your thing? How has that process been to this point? Yeah, you know, it, it happened fast. Um, but first of all, a lot of belief in, in Jed York. I mean, Jed... Um, He's taken a lot of heat around here because things haven't gone gone well, and that's that's natural. Um, but as you guys were talking about, he was also the guy in charge when when they were in the Super Bowl, uh, in in the not too distant past, you know. And so, um, and, and the one thing I think is so important: are you committed? Uh, because then I feel like I could help him, and Kyle Shanahan can help him. But you have to have that commitment. Uh, you know, I asked the tough questions in that week where the job was presented to me. Are, is he going to make the necessary financial commitment? Um, it, you know, are, are all the things that I feel are necessary, that Kyle felt were necessary, are those going to be at our disposal? Uh, the 49er way, to me, uh, as I learned it through Bill Walsh and then played for Mike Shanahan and John Gruden and Denny Green, these guys all had touches of the 49er way, was doing things in a first-class manner, uh, treating your players with respect but demanding excellence from them. And all those things were available. And, uh, 
you know, I'm I'm from Southern California, uh, so it, it's close. I'm comfortable. I went to school up here. It just kind of felt right. And then, like I said, uh, this thing would have never happened had I not been a broadcaster and been exposed to Kyle Shanahan a lot. I got to know him a little bit when I played for his dad, but Kyle was in college at the, the time and just starting his coaching career. And so, um, you know, really got to know him as a broadcaster and just was fascinated with his knowledge of the game. And, uh, and uh, I've been thoroughly impressed with his leadership abilities uh, since we've gotten here. And it's really been a good um, melding of, of our philosophies. And I, th- I think we see ver- football in very much the same way. And, um, uh, you know, we've committed to doing this thing together. Um, I think a lot of people would love to be like Bill Belichick, where you, one guy can do it all. I don't know how that guy's human, because he does, and he does it extremely well, uh, better than anyone else. And believe me, the, the three and a half weeks I spent as a New England Patriot at the end of my career, although they, it was short in time, uh, they left that left a big impact upon me. And, um, you know, uh, so I, I bring a lot of influences on my life, and you try to put those all in play and, and, and create your own philosophy. You know, John, you can still buy – I saw this the other day, and there's a handful <laughs> of guys. You can still buy a, a New England Patriots John Lynch jersey. Yeah. Not not in the pro shop, but I've seen him. I've seen him around New England here and there. Yeah, you know, it, there's a funny story there. When I was spending that time with New England, it was my 16th year. I had left camp in Denver and was really headed towards retirement. And uh, a couple teams started calling. One of them being the Patriots, and and I had almost gone there in free agency back in '04 when I went to the Broncos. And so Bill said, "Hey, let's get this thing right this time. I have a spot that I think you can play." And um, so I went there, and then. Right away, I kind of knew that I had, I had turned that, that, that faucet off. and <laughs> I'd always been a passionate player, and that one there, uh, we tried to make it happen. But like I said, it was so impactful. But, you know, that there was a last weekend uh, where Bill actually said, you know what, go home, see if you can get excited, see if you can, you know, yeah, I think you're just homesick. So I went home to Denver, visited with my family, went back to camp. And when I got back, you know, Bill and I had a good discussion, and I knew that I, I was gonna re, I was gonna be done with football at that point. But I played one more game. But I also went into the pro shop and I bought a bunch of jerseys. <laughs> and Mr. Kraft had just ordered them. Uh, I said to the store manager, uh, you know, you, you you ought to put those things on sale. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, What are you talking about? You know, Irish Catholic in Boston. These things are going to be huge. <laughs> and I said, uh, you, You'll see. <laughs> and I knew I was going home. Inside so information. I ordered about ten just so I had them for keeps. Well, I have to ask another quick story. You know, uh, is it true, here it is, your first draft, and I know your preparation, your professionalism, John. I know how much you get ready. You have to be a little nervous. There has to be some, like, pregame jitters. You're running a draft, and yet I hear that your dad pulled you out of third grade so you could stay home, watch the draft on ESPN, and actually predict the picks as they happen. So you kind of have been a – GM in training since third grade. Yeah, that was kind of our thing, uh, and that kind of became. Uh, Lynch has had some tough rules, and one of them was we don't we didn't miss school, uh, but we he kind of made an exception because he saw that I absolutely loved uh, the game of football, and so that kind of became our thing. He'd take a day off work, and uh, I you know uh, I'd I'd uh, I'd go and try to fill out the draft and stuff. So um, that was always fun, and and then even when I played, you know I I used to drive my wife crazy because uh, you know. 
you don't have many weekends off as an NFL player, and uh, those that always was one because everybody else was working, and I'd I'd sit around and watch that thing for hours upon hours, trying to fill it out, trying to do my own mocks. And, so any jitters this week? Be honest, as as honest as you can be. Any jitters? Yeah, like uh, nerves. That, you know what I've been pleasantly surprised with because uh, I could see how people think. I I think uh, when you're prepared. Uh, you're anxious and you're uh, excited uh, more so than nervous. Nervous, I think, uh, to me, has always had a negative connotation because I think it, it indicates that you're not prepared. I'm, I'm very um, comfortable with our preparation. I think we've been, uh, albeit we got a late start, I think we've been very thorough. Uh, we've kind of melded, um, you know, my philosophy, which, you know, is just born of instinct um, and some time doing this with the Denver Broncos. You know, John Elway was nice enough to invite me in some off season, so I was exposed to it. Uh, Adam Peters, who we brought from Denver, and then Kyle and Martin Mayhew, who I brought in, an old teammate of mine, Don, back in, in Tampa. And right. so we've kind of melded it and said, let's make our own philosophy. And uh, uh, we've got really uh, a really talented college scouting staff. And that, that's not to say, hey, you know, I never want to come off like, hey, I've got this thing figured out. Uh, I, I respect the process way too much, but uh, I, I do know that uh, I'm real happy with our preparation. Uh, I was telling someone that, you know, uh, there, there was always a point when I played, and you get so in that routine where you say, okay, I got the game plan, I'm ready to play. And sometimes that would come up to Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. It was usually for me on Friday. That moment for me was this past Sunday. I came in, I worked the whole weekend. Uh, my family's down in San Diego, so I, I worked the Saturday, I worked Sunday. And Sunday, I was in the office around 6 o'clock. I closed up my notebook, and I said, I'm ready. And um, that's not to say there's not still more work to do, and, and we're, we're doing mocks and scenarios and all these kind of things this week. But that's when I kind of felt like I could close my notebook with great confidence that, that we're going to go in prepared and ready to ready to do our best to build a great nucleus of players moving forward. Well, I want you to know I listened to your whole uh press conference, news conference yesterday with the local San Francisco area media, and I think you're already a, a GM because – you gave absolutely nothing away. Now you were tr- you were transparent. Well, we were successful then. You were successful. You were transparent, as you said you believe in. Um, but you 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 acknowledged that you could take a quarterback. You talked about taking a cornerstone or a foundational player at number two. You basically gave someone uh, confirmation of whatever they're already leaning to believe. Now I have to be honest. I know you're dying to know who I'm giving you in my mock draft which is appearing tomorrow on Patriots.com, if I can plug it. I was going to give you Mitchell Trubisky until I listened to everything you said yesterday. <laughs> and now, John, I'm giving you Jamal Adams. Now, All I right. don't, I know, just blink if that's correct, John. Blink three <laughs> times. Um, I, I know that I'm not getting any confirmation here, but I believe that um, after listening to you that – Obviously, a trade is still a possibility. Doesn't sound likely. Doesn't sound like there's enough demand to get up to two. I know that there's enough defensive players that could be really special in that top five. Do you like your choices at two? We really do. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's been portrayed that this is kind of a one-man draft, and then it gets really deep. But there's a big cliff, and and uh, you know, I, I you know, first of all, we don't know who's going to go one, but I, I think. Um, that there, there is, you know, one player that probably has excited people 
more so than others. But I, I feel like the, the kind of the as this draft is looked back upon, there's there's really really quality depth, and so there's so many different scenarios. And really, to an extent, you know, while I'm being evasive, because I, I you know to telegraph your intentions. I mean, Bill Belichick teaches people better than ever. That's just not smart, and it's worked pretty well for him. Um, but uh, I, I think the reality is number two. You know, look, it, I, I wouldn't. I wasn't part of a two and fourteen team, but now I have to assume responsibility for that. But there's also some benefit to that, and part of the benefit to picking number two is that I think it really puts you in control. I think a lot of people early on, man, I feel sorry for you that the number two pick, and I, you know, I, I tend to look at things positively, and I think we've got a lot of options at our disposal. As as you said, we can sit sit pat, and I would feel very confident. Um, uh, you know, with with the player or players that we have pegged there, that we're going to get that foundational cornerstone player that can can really embody what we want to be about. Um, there is interest. We've received calls about people being interested in moving up, and um, you know, we spoke to the depth, and so still feel very comfortable that you're going to get a good player. And who knows, we could move up. So, I mean, there's. I just gave you every scenario, but yes, you did. I think that's when you're at number two. That that gives you uh, a lot of people don't have those options available, and. Um, I think uh, we do, and so I'm, I, I tend to look at that in a positive way. John, uh, you mentioned calls about trades, you know, making moves. Have you guys been the ones to make any of those phone calls, or have you guys been receiving almost all of those phone calls? No, uh, we've been receiving, and you know, I, I, I will just to be. Uh, they're they're cursory. They're they're on the surface, but they hey, we have interest. So please just keep us a, a, abreast of what's going on, and I think all those things will start to heat up here in the next couple of days. And uh, you know, the the bottom line is we'd be foolish not to listen, and and we will. John, one one last real quick question for me: What's been the biggest surprise for you throughout this process since you took this job? Well, I think just like in life. Um, everyone's got issues. <laughs> you know? I think uh, I think you learn that. So anyone who tells you that that guy, boy, he's just he's got nothing. Everyone's got issues. No that, perfection, that, that, in other words. Yeah, no perfection. Yeah. It, it's not just for NFL players. Uh, that's that's our culture, our society, and and so I think people look at NFL players and think, oh, they got so many more. I, I don't think that's the truth. I think people in in their lives just have issues, and so that's that's the challenge. It's saying, okay, what's acceptable. Um, you know, and and I think that's one thing I'm proud of is that we really forced ourselves through some different exercises to really articulate uh, what it is, what is the type of player, what is what is our organization going to be built upon. I think that's what successful organizations do. I think uh, you know, you guys, I, I think are in in at Patriot Place doing this, and and those guys, I think they have a clear picture. You know. Uh, exactly who they're looking for in a player, and the result is all the success they've had. And so as soon as I got this job, I knew that it was important not just to kind of know in our in our own hearts, but force ourselves to, as, a, as an organization to say, what are we going to be about? And so as long as you draft players that represent uh, most of those, and <clears throat> to me that's football character, that's loving football, it's being accountable, being dependable to your teammates, um, and obviously – the talent is is uh, is important. Um, then you're going to be all right. John can't thank you enough. Uh, I have to admit, you know, I did not see you as a as a future GM, but now it all uh, makes sense to me. People looked at John Elway, didn't see that. It's guys named John with five letter last names. <laughs> 
who went to Stanford and once played quarterback at some level. They're obviously and played baseball and played baseball. I forgot about yeah, we're that. We're in the same fraternity. I, That's just right. Going on. So, so it was all there for the taking. If we could only connect the dots, all those uh, years ago. Look, thank you so much. You are our first ever podcast guest. You know how Bill Murray led off the David Letterman show all yeah, those years ago, and awesome. then was his that last awesome. guest. So when we do our last episode, you're coming back as our last. You are our Bill Murray. So thank well, you, John Lynch. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I Thanks, John. It. Good okay. catching up with you. Thank you. Bye bye. Wanted to want to lead this in and, and use this as kind of a jumping off point now from from our draft conversation with John to more of a league wide angle right now and I know that your mock draft is going up on Patriots.com tomorrow right uh, and you're going to be in Philly right I am I'll be there for Patriots.com all three days of the draft that Saturday is always a little uh, challenging oh, to, that to, turnaround. to get the headline yeah. you know of that of that fourth through seventh round but yeah are we really going to be outside Chris can uh, you, you believe know, yeah, yeah I'm, this a, is my biggest concern yeah. I'm a veteran scribe and I want to know if I'm going to be outside late at night on the uh, the in, banks in of Philadelphia S- on the banks of the Schuylkill yeah. I I lived in Philly not long ago, and I'm having a hard time imagining that work environment. But uh, they're doing it this year outside, and they're going to make uh, – you know, they're doing it right there on the Rocky Steps. They're going to pull it off. I, I've seen some of the pictures, and I've talked to some of the folks who are down there, and it looks like a, a sizable production. And, and they did the same thing last year in Chicago, and they kind of took over a portion of downtown. But I'm fascinated to theater, see how it's going to all work. They had the theater where, because I did cover the Chicago draft two years ago, they had the theater where the actual drafting was uh, going on, and then they had fan experience outside. Mm-hmm. This, I just don't understand. Are they going to make the prospects run up and down the <laughs> Rocky the steps? steps, you know? Because I I live there. There's a lot of steps to, oh, the, yeah. to that Museum of Science. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, I can't quite picture it. But yes, I'll be there for Patriots.com, looking forward to it. And did you come away understanding who they're going for? Because no, I'm, I'm as no. I'm he's, as he's good. He's yeah, look, you he's know, good. for a first year GM, for a guy who's he's only gonna been make on the it. job a couple of months, he knows what he's doing here in terms of keeping the cards close to his best. Because in a lot of ways, and I think you'd back me up on this, we all believe that. I think most people believe that Miles Garrett's going to go. He's going to go number one Agreed. to Cleveland at this point. Agreed. And I so, think they'd be foolish not to. Yeah, and, and so now. There's all sorts of questions for the Niners, right. and, and again, John was was cagey, predictably cagey, yeah. in, in terms of you, you know, I I have to, be, I, I'm wondering, and and I, and I really, I if Solomon Thomas is the guy out there for a couple of reasons, he's the if, popular pick. for Exactly, them. he's the popular pick. He's going to sell some tickets. In when you are at that stage of a rebuild, that's something that comes into the conversation. And so, would we be presumptuous to sit here and say? If they go for Solomon Thomas, how much of an influence does Jed York have in that decision? Or if they go for Trubisky, if they go for you know any number of names, Leonard Fournette, I don't think they're going to. But, I mean, who else is in the mix here? I, I when, think when Jamal Adams is in the mix, uh, the safety. Uh, you know, it's interesting. If they go for Trubisky, as I was prepared to have them do, is that really a Kyle Shanahan pick? Does that and that's, speak and that's to the great, fact yeah. that Shanahan yeah. is really – uh, kind of in charge. Yeah. And, and I think, look, fair or not, we're going to use this pick as a litmus test right? as to who is running the show, who is really running the show in, in San Francisco. But, the, you know, it, look, all the attention's on them because we know the default number one right now, it's going to be Garrett. Where do the 49ers go? And then from that point on in your mock draft, who do you have the rest of the way in terms of the dominoes starting to fall? I know the the, the one that everyone wants to talk about 
at least from my perspective, my experience, I, I think that a lot of people are interested in the quarterbacks. Yes. You know, what, where the quarterbacks are going to go, who's going to end up taking which quarterback. Well, for some reason, just to jump back to Francisco for a minute, I don't know why, but I feel like I feel like Solomon Thomas is a smokescreen. It's been out there for so long, maybe I, I've talked myself out of it. But getting back to the quarterbacks, I, I'm going to have – a little fun with this, but I really believe that Cleveland is wanting to walk away, you know, with Garrett and Mitchell Trubisky. So I'm going to have in my mock, I'm going to have the Jets at number six. I team I believe is very willing to move down, trade with Cleveland. Now Cleveland has the 12 pick. Cleveland has the 33rd pick. There's a, a host of picks they could throw at the Jets. I think Cleveland's going to come back up into that number six slot and take. Mitchell Trubisky, the local kid from the Cleveland area. I think he's a guy that they hope can watch for a year, not have to play, and finally end their long national nightmare at the quarterback position. And then I think it's not going to take long to see other quarterbacks move. With that number 12 slot that the Jets got from the Browns, I'm going to have him take into Sean Watson, the Clemson quarterback. So Watson to the Jets. Watson to the Jets at 12. Again, a guy that a lot of people f- love his leadership skills, love his big game production, don't love his accuracy issues, a lot of interceptions, I think 17 last year for Clemson. But I think the Jets are in semi-desperation mode, and I think they'll double down at quarterback after taking Christian Hackenberg in the second round last year and go to Sean Watson at 12. Taking a shot on Patrick Mahomes, the Texas Tech quarterback, to number 13, Arizona. I think Bruce okay. Arians likes his moxie and his, his, his sense of the huddle, his sense of playing the game. Not a ton of experience, but I think he plays a Bruce Arians style of game. That would be a great spot for him because Arians is a bit of a quarterback whisperer. He wouldn't have to step in immediately. Get another year sit. out exactly. of Carson Palmer. Yeah, and just that would seem to be an ideal situation for a young quarterback. And then lastly, I'm going to go with a fourth quarterback making the first round. Again, if I've learned anything in all these years of mock drafting, push quarterbacks up. Uh, find ways to get them into the first round. I'm going to go Davis Webb, the one-year starter at Cal, who took over, uh, obviously, for Jared Goff after the Rams made him the number one pick in the draft last year. But Davis Webb, Davis Webb, once upon a time, a Texas Tech quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, bumped him out of town, basically. I'm going to have him go into number 25, Houston. Again, another team that probably doesn't need him this year, they'll probably play Savage, Tom Savage, uh, as their starter. But I believe there's going to be four quarterbacks bef- when all is said and done. Which one of those guys is the most NFL-ready? That is to say, if there was one of those four who had to be called upon to play this season, who had to be called upon to play in 2017, significant snaps, five, six, seven, eight games, which one of those guys in right now would do the best job? As crazy as it sounds, it's Mitchell Trubisky, who's got 13 starts at the collegiate level, and eight wins. But scouts say he is the most pro-ready. And that kind of speaks to a quarterback class that a lot of people feel like is good but is not year one star material at all. Is there a guy in this draft who is, you know, you talk about year one star material. Is there a guy in this draft who has that breakout potential, who has the the, the ability to be 
the guy that we're all talking about come week eight or nine. The Beckham. We're, yeah, the be, yeah the that guy level. Yeah, exa- not necessarily the guy who we are talking about now. I, I look. I know Garrett. Pretty much, you can earmark Garrett as a star. But is there a guy who maybe with a little bit of off field sizzle, you know, is able to kind of open some eyes over the first five, six, seven games, a guy who's going to kind of jump up out of nowhere and be a bit of a surprise. I think Mike Williams, the Clemson receiver, is as, I guess has that, that big-time star potential as much as anybody in this draft that I look at. Now, clearly, the Browns better hope Miles Garrett has that ability to take over games because at the number one pick, um, that's what you have to produce. You simply have to have that kind of impact from day one. But on the offensive side, this is still an offensive league. Yeah, I think I'd have to go. I'd have to go, Mike Williams. I just think uh, the size. He's not a burner, uh, but he, the body and the ability to make the tough catch in traffic to kind of use his body um, as leverage against the defender. I, I, you know, and what's crazy is right now I have him on my most recent mock. I have him lasting a long time in this draft, all the way to number 18 Tennessee, and I think they'd be thrilled. I'm having a hard time buying my own logic, but that's where he <laughs> falls. Now, he could go to number 10 Buffalo, but I, I gave them O.J. Howard, the tight end, who I think also— That'd be a great pickup for them. Yeah, it would really— That'd be a fantastic It would really kind of them finally learning a few lessons from the Patriots yeah. and saying we've got to get a tight end who can really uh, dominate a, a, a defensive secondary on a given day. The three guys that I am the most fascinated to see in not just where they go in this draft, but their transition into the NFL, whether or not they're NFL ready immediately or their growth as professional players, and where they end up playing them in some cases as well. Mixon, right. uh, Jabril Peppers, and Christian McCaffrey. Those are the three most intriguing storylines to me that will stretch beyond draft day. If I'm a casual fan, I know Jabril Peppers – can do multiple things he can do five or six things but can that translate to the NFL can he go to I don't know can 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 McCaffrey go to Carolina where do they end up taking McCaffrey that's even? where I, mean, I have one of those Carolina guys. number he eight be, yeah. he could be a top 10 guy absolutely and some people don't some people might not even think he's a first round guy yeah it's that you know it's it's that jack of all trades master of none mm-hmm. label that potentially could stick to Peppers and McCaffrey because they say, wow, well, what are they going to do extremely well? Or are they going to do everything pretty well? Mm-hmm. Um, I think McCaffrey is going to go to Carolina at number eight. I think they're looking for somebody to help take the offensive burden completely off of Cam Newton's shoulders so that he's not carrying the whole load. And I think, you know, I think McCaffrey's a guy will, will be instant offense. Maybe he's not going to have the longest NFL career, but they're going to get him involved in a number of ways, and I, th- I think that would be a great fit for him. Um, it's, it's an interesting question because Peppers, obviously he had the headline come out this week, mm-hmm. uh, a diluted test, which the league st- uh, views the same thing as a failed test. He says he pounded a lot of water uh, prior to his test because he had to work out at both linebacker and at safety in the, in the combine drills. Uh, I don't know if that's going to hurt him. I don't think it's going to stick to him dramatically. Um, at the moment, I have him going to number 29, Green Bay, which is a ways. But I could see number 30, Pittsburgh, being yeah. into Jabril Peppers. I think he is a really interesting player. He, obviously, he can he can do a little linebacker. He could play safety. I think he's going to end up primarily a safety in this league. I thought if if the Patriots had that 32nd pick, 
that would have been the quote-unquote luxury item. That is a great Patriots That I think pick. Bill yeah. would have gone after. Yeah. Um, one other question before before I kind of downshift into some Patriots stuff. I want to ask you, do you think the Deshaun Kaiser stuff is going to work against him? Where he came out and, and was very forward and said, look, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was talking about how, how good he was. and look, He know, basically said, I'm, I'm the the brain of Tom Brady yeah. and the body of Cam Newton. And the body of Cam Newton. Yeah. Does, does that kind of thing turn off NFL GMs to a point where they say, look, we're, we're, no, we're, not, we're some, not in this interest. Some, some will get turned off by that because you remember the icon and entertainer quote that Cam Newton put out mm-hmm. his senior year coming into the league. That turned some people off because they thought, okay, this guy is focused on things other than just strictly football. Now, what Kaiser said is strictly football, but it also shows – I think a certain immaturity. And when you back it up with what Brian Kelly, his coach, who said, I support the kid, but he's not ready. Mm-hmm. He should have stayed another year. He wasn't fully mature and developed. When you put those two together, that statement that he made and what his coach has said repeatedly, I think some teams are going to say, you know what, this kid's not He's not there. He's not as far along as he thinks he is, mm-hmm. and a little bit of a, a beware. Is he going to last past the second round? No, but I don't have him in my first round. I think he makes the second. He's an intriguing prospect, and, and I'm going to be fascinated to see where he, as well as some of those other guys, go. Mix, like I said, Mix and Peppers um, and McCaffrey. I want to get your take on this because, again, I think we're of like minds right before we wrap up here. When it comes to the Patriots, they don't pick until the third round. They're not going to push all the chips to the middle of the table and trade up into the first. Or I think if there is an opportunity for them to – identify a guy who might be there midway through the second round, late in the second round. I could see them moving some picks around and moving up to that What point. are they down to? Seven picks now, They're right? down to seven picks. But I think overall, this is a year where the Patriots are drafting for 2018 and beyond. I think that the, the expectation should be amongst the fan base that this is going to be a little bit like the 2007 draft, where you went out and you expended that offseason capital on – Brandon Cooks, Stephon Gilmore, you know, uh, a handful of other free agents you brought in here, Gillisley. Um, and, and the focus is going to be on those guys as opposed to the draft picks. You're, you're looking for developmental guys at this point for a few reasons, not the least of which you just don't have a whole lot of quality roster spots open at this exactly. point. Exactly. I, I, this is a stock to cupboard type of draft, and it's for, it's for next year more than it is this year. It felt like free agency had to be – uh, the right now, right here focus mm-hmm. for this team this year. And I think they did pretty solid work on that front. And then where they are in the draft, it left them really with, okay, we need to we need to hit these picks, but we need to hit these picks looking down the road more so even than usual for, for you know, whatever we get out of them this year could be pure bonus, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is in a lot of ways, not, not completely, and I'm kind of broad brushing this here, but it's a little bit of a 180 from last year because they didn't have the first-round pick last year, and they had to hit on those second-round guys, those third-round right. guys, those fourth-round guys. And for the most part— but they had you, volume. Exactly, they had volume, and they were able to identify guys who ended up being sizable contributors to this roster in 2016, guys like Vincent Valentine, guys like uh, Jacoby Brissett, uh, Joe Tooney, um, uh, Malcolm Mitchell. There's, there was a handful of guys who stepped in immediately in 2016 and became impact players. We're not looking at this draft for the Patriots in that same kind of light. No. 
Yeah, I, I think if they're looking for guys, I think you're, you're, you're looking for depth at a handful of positions. Maybe, uh, you know, you add another cornerback to the mix. Maybe you add another defensive end. Maybe you need a pass rusher. I think that's the one area where, and it's almost like an evergreen statement, the Patriots are looking for a pass rusher, especially now with Chris Long out of the mix. Um, they, they're going to need a guy. They like – they got Coney Ely. They like Coney Ely. But, but they're going to need a little bit more depth there. And I could see them going after one of those guys with one of those third or fourth round picks. But the one other thing that we know is that they are going to find a quarterback. No one goes after more quarterbacks, whether it's late round guys, whether it's undrafted free agents, right. whether it's street guys. I love playing that game of looking through kind of the 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 the, the back end of the barrel, guys who projected as fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, right. who are quarterbacks who we'll might call it the kind of, Matt Castle exactly. Memorial. Exactly, like the that, Matt yeah. Castle, the Brian Hoyer types, yeah. finding those guys. Those are the other types of guys who are going to be brought in here this offseason when it comes to the draft. Do so, we both agree that Jimmy G and and uh, Mr. Butler are going nowhere? Oh, they're staying here, yeah, at least right now. And one thing that and, – and my colleague Tom Curran brings up an excellent point. I, and I don't want to go too far out on that limb, but I think we kind of get caught up in the idea that the Jimmy G thing has to be resolved around the draft. I'm not saying that there's going to be a Sam Bradford type of situation, but maybe something happens in July or it's August true. and someone breaks their leg and they go to the Patriots and say, look, we'll give you four first-round picks for, right. for, for Garoppolo. Then, you know, you're going to make it's that true. trade. It's most, likely to, it's most likely to have the window be Cleveland needing him before the draft exactly. because it sets up yeah. the rest of their draft. But you're right. I yeah. mean, last year at this time – it was it was mid August and we still thought Sam Bradford was definitely going to be Eagles starting quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And we're sitting here putting together a depth chart for the Patriots and we're talking about Mike Gillisley and you know, I, I we referenced this before the show where, you know, the Patriots had Don Br- Donald Brown in here last year. Right. And they had you know, you weren't sure if LeGarrett Blunt could give you another year and a lot of that is just kind of focused more on the running back position than anything else because that's the Bill treats running backs like fungible assets. He just cycles through them on a you know a weekly basis almost. But you know, there's a lot of time. Basically, my, the bottom line here is there's a lot of time between now and you know September seventh, September 9th, whatever the opening date is. Then in the moves that look like they are going to be rock solid now, quite often come July, August, September. You know they're, they're they they don't look so rock solid anymore. So jealousy equals no Legarrette Blunt. That's yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah, I that's I'm that, not that's convinced my belief. that. I'm yeah, not it, exactly. And that's the and that's maybe kind of that's kind of the bigger picture here when you're talking about the running back position. I think it's bad news for Blunt right now. Obviously, it's, it's not a, looking good. Release. No, but but then the thing is, you know, we hear today Rapsheed had a report where uh, the Giants had expressed interest in him. And look, I wouldn't. It's happened before. It could happen again. I wouldn't put it past. He finds a way back to New England. Right. You know, I mean, again, a lot of that is specific to the running back position because they just go through running backs like. But at some point, there's business. a lot of bodies back there, right? There now. are. They're, they're a little bit, and I've always made this analogy, and as a baseball fan, you could appreciate that. Running backs are a little bit like pitchers. One of you know, you can never have too many. One of them is going to get hurt. Don't, don't get me started on the Red Sox rotation, please. <laughs> One of them is not going to be able to be who you thought. He could be. Hey, you know Buckholz got hurt. Uh, what yeah. a shock. Yeah, and my wife's a Phillies fan. What so, a shock. Yeah, I told my wife, I said, look, no, you, can, well, you, you can't, can't exchange I can't back. believe you, he we, broke down. You didn't keep the receipt, so you keep I can't yeah. believe. I mean, mid-April and he broke down. Who knew? Who knew that? <laughs> uh, but one last thing. It was kind of a Patriots topic because I thought once upon a time he had a shot, a shot of being here. Adrian Peterson to the Saints. Mm-hmm. 
Like it, dislike it. I like it for the Saints. I, look, it's a one year. They're taking a flyer on him to see if anything works. It's not like, and this is going to sound patronizing, but it's not like you know there's going to be a huge level of expectation him playing in New Orleans. I think if he hits four yards a carry and finishes with 900 yards, it's a yeah. good year for him. I like it. I yeah. don't think it's going to be a grand slam. Uh, I don't think he has a, a monster season left in him. But look, um, that offense still, that is one of the best exactly. offenses. You yeah. know, they can't play defense uh, uh, worth a lick, but that